This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, and I am joined from Fakatane by Mawera Karatai. Kira Mawera. Kia ora, Sam. How's it going? It's going very well indeed. How is the week going so far? Um, it has actually been a surprisingly productive start, and I'm expecting it to go that way, but it's not as hot here as it is there, and I don't get to say that very often. <laughs> <laughs> the water will be like a bath soon. <laughs> really will. You'll be like, oh, it's too hot to swim. Nah, you won't be saying that. <laughs> <laughs> Might take a while for that to happen. It was inter- at the weekend, it was hot and cold. It was patchy. There was bits that were freezing and bits that were really warm. It was very strange. Hmm. But never mind, who are we introducing today? It is my great pleasure to introduce Emma Burns. Emma is the curator of natural science at Otago Museum. She's an artist, a writer, and a mum. Welcome, Emma. It's lovely to have you here with us today. Thank you. Welcome, Emma. Where are you, Emma? Um, I'm currently sitting in the Kia room at the Otago Museum, which is one of our admin rooms. Um, Yeah, on site here at the museum. I've got a beautiful Andrew Epps uh, picture behind me here from his trip down to Antarctica um, back in um, the early 2000s, I think. Photographing. Cool. And so you work at the museum. Were you at the museum when lockdown started last year? Um, I was at the museum the day before lockdown started and we were all uh, rushing around to grab bits and pieces that we needed to, to work from home because it was a very new experience for everybody. So, yeah, people, it was very strange sight seeing people picking up laptops and screens and wheeling out um, desk chairs and making sure that they had all the gears that they needed to to work from home so um, but no I was at um, at home um, in Ravensbourne uh, during lockdown we've got a nice uh, property that looks up over the um, over the whole harbour which is yeah really lovely during lockdown to see all the weather and the um, the action out on the on the water with the birds and the boats and things. So what work did you do during lockdown because people weren't coming to the museum? No, no. Well, my job is um, is mostly back of house anyway. So I do a lot of the development of the exhibitions and a lot of the work with donors around the collection development. And so, yeah, working, uh, developing um, plans around field work and preparation of specimens that come in as well. We do a lot of salvage bird material. So if people find a, a dead seagull or an albatross on the beach, they're often brought in here and we go through a process of getting um, permission to get those preserved for taxidermy or skeletonized for the collection. So that's a whole lot of the type of work that I'm doing back of house. And then it's also a lot of um, work getting the information that comes in around those specimens into the database so that um, those uh, items can be used for scientific research or for display. So, um, I mean, it's not too big a jump from working um, behind the scenes to from home as well. So it's quite, um, <laughs> Quite good. And then also a lot of the stuff that we were doing because the museum was so focused on making sure that we still had enough um, going on for online visitors. It was doing a lot of the editing and um, fact checking for a lot of the front of house staff who were sort of um, pushed from doing the education to people um, face to face to um, to educating people online as well. So that was um, a big part of work. Did you try and do like a, was it a virtual museum or was it more focused on activities to keep people engaged? Yeah, it was a little bit of both. Um, it was mostly the, um, we'd uh, basically built a, a website portal called At Home um, using the capital O-M for Otago Museum, which was a bit of a play. 
Um, and it was uh, developing sort of at-home support for parents um, who were looking to entertain their children while they needed to work from home. Um, also engage with some of the stories behind the museum as well. Um, and then also, <laughs> uh, because the whole world was going into lockdown sort of at a similar time, um, folks over in the UK decided to start a, um, a curator battle, which is basically you had to pull um, items from your collection as images and try to say what was the creepiest or what was the, um, the funniest or the who has the best bum in your collection and things like that. So that was a weekly event online, which was um, was amazingly um, amazingly fun and it got a lot of engagement for museums um, around the world. And some of those museums you've never even heard of before, like the um, like agriculture museums from like strange corners of Ireland and things like that. And so it was um, yeah, it was great, great networking. Do you think not just networking, but do you think that that kind of engaging people might stick like ha have we learned from that 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 was actually a good way of getting people involved yeah i think so and it was i think the role of the museum during that time especially for events like that was was a little bit more entertainment than people would like a lot of museums would traditionally have, have um engaged in so the the role of you know giving some people something to follow or something fun to, to listen to or, or read uh, became a very key role for, um, for things like that. So yeah, a little bit, a little bit of fun, a little bit of outside the, the tedium of, of lockdown. You've said just before, I meant to ask at the time, but I forgot, I'm sorry, I'll ask now. You said just before that some, one of the things that you do is is that people bring in, I think you described it as recovered recovered bird specimens. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But there's a curation job involved. So what what... What takes it from that's a dead bird, thanks very much, that's what we really wanted, to yes, this is one we definitely want for our collection? Yeah, I mean, the, the most important thing, people often think it's what it is. So they're more likely to bring us things that they see as important, things like kiridu and tui, but often it's the data around some of those lesser known and more common birds, which are, um, are, are really valued. So it's the information about where it was found, who found it, and what um, what state it was in when it was found as well. So is there any other information that we can gather from a specimen? So the, the better condition that it's in, the more we can find out. Like if it's just a basically, you know, a skull that's been recovered from the railroad tracks, there's not really much you can tell about. And it's a lot of work for me to try and work out exactly which spe species of shag it is. So um, but if you've got the whole bird, it's really relatively fresh, uh, fresh there's a... Uh, Plumage, uh, you can tell a little bit about, um, you know, whether it's in breeding plumage, whether it's male or female. Um, if it's if it's quite fresh, you can recover things like uh, parasites, which sound really gross, but are actually really helpful in terms of understanding ecologies of, um, of the local environment. And you can also find a, a bunch of other things like diet and, um, and yeah, all sorts of bits and pieces. And so once we, um, we assess the birds when they come in, um, we then put a, an application into the Kōmati Tōkotoku Iho, which is a um, basically a, a group of uh, Ngātahu representatives uh, from the local runaka who have a say. They have the um, jurisdiction and the, um, the authority in, over what happens with those those remains. And so we sort of say, look, this is one that we would like to preserve for the museum collection to be available for science. And um, they give us the permission for that or decline it if it's someone else is interested in it. For other other purposes and then um yeah then we go ahead and, and start to that down that process of preserving it which would be by taxidermy or skeletonization because yeah. museums have gone quite a long way from just being a storehouse of treasures to being not just the entertainment but the engagement with people but it still does have that role it still is the storehouse of treasures oh and it's a massive role and especially within the natural sciences as well like we're a repository for temporal and, and spatial and um Data. So that's where animals occurred at a certain point in time, and these become really valuable windows into the past as we go forward and, and work out where species occurred. Do they still occur there? Um, how has that landscape changed since the time that this animal was collected or, or plant? And then um, it also, it, a lot of the material that's come into the, into the museum in the past as well also hasn't had that who is it um, solved fully. So often... Uh, we have taxonomists revisit material and, and discover whole new species that have been stored in the museum for you know, 100, 100 odd years. 
and the new stuff that you're collecting now, you said it was a window in the past, but you have to anticipate what might be interesting as a window in the past in 50 or 100 years' time. Yeah, yeah, we do. So we have to think about, um, we often, we go through a cycle every five years of coming up with with what our um, collection development um, strategy is going to be. So it might be around certain uh, taxa that we've already got a strength in. Or it might be um, there's an opportunity opening up with, uh, here in Otago at least, uh, with research groups at the university who are quite active in a specific area. And so we might partner with them to help um, build a collection that will have longevity within the collection around that data um, that's associated with the material. Because the research is often looking at one specific um, part of the information and the work that they do. But when they work with museums, we can kind of together come up with a a much more rich uh, number of different uh, data points that we can kind of associate with one specific specimen so that in the future, people can look at it from all sorts of different um, angles. Let's take the first of your music choices. Let's have Yola. Hold on. Why this one? Um, I really like Yola. She's a, a new artist to me. Um, but yeah, it was it was good. It was pretty tough during um, lockdown at times. When you know when you've got a young kid. Um, my daughter was only one year year old during the the first lockdown, um, and this song came out um, not long after that. So um, yeah, it was kind of a, a good anthem when you like trying to get through that those tough points um, in your day. Mama said to me.
introduced you as not just being a curator, being involved in art and writing. What's that about? Well, we have to also have we have to be quite a um, a mixed uh, skill set here at the museum. So you have to have quite a creative. Uh, you have to like, tap into your creative side uh, quite often. Um, and I find it quite useful during um, lockdown, especially when you have to basically you're jumping between uh, creative work and quite critical work when you're doing a lot of the fact checking and editing and stuff. So I find that the creative stuff um, is a good way of getting balance in the work that I do. And so with the writing and the art stuff, it's thinking in 3D um, and how you want to present ideas. Because basically a lot of the work that we do is science communication as well. So how will the exhibition around specific um, ideas and taxa sort of form together to um, yeah to tell good stories and exciting stuff for visitors what stories have you got brewing that you're thinking oh, i wish we could find a way of telling uh, that we story. Had to, with, <laughs> with lockdown we had to just um to um to reschedule a few exhibitions and things so one of the ones that we've been um brewing in the background is on New Zealand freshwater fish. We've got a beautiful collection of fiberglass uh, fish, both introduced and native species uh, that were cast and um, and painted and got a beautiful shiny lacquer on them as well. So they look like they've just come out of water um, that were made in the 1960s by a group of, uh, of, of on-staff taxidermists and uh, exhibition uh, technicians and so we're going to put those on display and talk about yeah basically trying to um, expand people's knowledge of the different species of fish that we have here in new zealand and some of them are crazy even the the introduced species like some of these are very um some of these introduced species of salmon for example are only found in one lake in the entire country that's those are basically the moose of the fish world in new zealand <laughs> so yeah we're very close to it if they've gone extinct yeah or failed as an introduction. It's interesting how some things have longevity. I was fascinated by the the Hawkins um, exhibition. I've forgotten when that was. Two years ago, the Garden of Earthly Delights, when oh, they yes, collected yeah. together all of those those three um, D models and posters and things that for, for mm -hmm. teaching resources and some of them are really yeah, old like 120 <laughs> years old or something but they've become museum pieces in their own right they've been kept so long and been useful for so long so it's interesting that you're you're, you're talking about this fiberglass fish that were made in the 60s that's interesting in its own right yeah they are yeah the, the process that goes into making them the um the brindle models i think are the ones that you're speaking of that are the um at the botany department they are beautiful and they're they're highly valued in natural history collections around the world um, and we've also another model like that as well are the blushka models which are these intricate and beautifully um colored uh sea creatures that were created by a uh, just two members of a family in um, in eastern europe and because when you preserve uh, marine invertebrates and you place them into the alcohol or the formula and they, they lose their colour immediately. And um, so you, they couldn't display the excitement of the colours that they were seeing in things like nudibranchs and jellyfish and things. So these glass models became works of art and trying to communicate just how beautiful these, um, what would have been seen in the day as lower life forms um, in, um, in museums. But yeah, they're absolutely gorgeous. It didn't happen, but I was supposed to be um, going to a, an art exhibition in Bristol. Um, I was at a conference and they, the next conference was in Bristol and they did a big announcement that on the last day there was going to be an artist come in and, and do some things. And, and there was about 50 people in the room who would describe themselves as artists before they would describe themselves as computer scientists. So I kind of led a bit of a movement. Well, let's have our own art exhibition. Um, and so what I was going to take was things that were inspired by those those um, those Brendel models um, on the basis of they're just made out of cardboard and bits of string and whatever mm. they could find to make these things. But we've looked after them for so long. Why are we not Why are we not applying the same kind of care to how we think about communicating things like climate change or sustainability? What might yeah. it look like if we were to? Not make them the same, but but think of them in the same. Think of those concepts in the same kind of way, but 
then we got COVID and it didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> well, there there is seems to be a, a lot more of the um, well, at least locally, um, interactions between the art and the sciences in terms of how you communicate some of those um, those concepts through art because it is an it is an, an important medium in terms of yeah communicating issues around climate change and species loss and all sorts of other um, of the big issues facing us at the moment. Let's take our own artwork. Let's have Tahu. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orakadui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou. Nā mihi arohanui ki a koutou koutou We hope you're all having the best day before superstars in your beloved universes. I really hope wherever you are and whatever's happening around you, this journey that we're all on together is proving to be very rewarding, very sustaining and illuminating for you more and more each day. Who you are, a triumph of nature's art, perfect, unique and here making things better. Thank you. Here I am on a glorious sunny and sunny day. It's very sunny and beautiful. I'm heading out to the back garden the Wool Mansion, the beautiful hens at Hey Hey HQ, Lucy, Rose and Evelyn have been very clever and figured out numerous times how to escape from my garden. Hello my darlings and go down, hello, go down to other people's gardens, hello. So my friend Maddie and I yesterday figured out how we could keep them in the back garden by plugging various holes in the fence. So now that we've done that, I hope they can really appreciate the back garden and it'll be enough for them. Here's some lovely things for you. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful goddesses. So I really hope for you at this time you're finding ways to make your life more streamlined, less stressful. As we know for the last two and a half years we've been building up to where we are now, finding ourselves navigating and negotiating a new reality in which many aspects of our lives have changed and just like the beautiful hens, at times we've had to be restricted to a smaller part of what was once a wider expanse of our lives. For me, I'm really enjoying having the Wool Mansion to myself and just having this time and space to really bathe in my own energy is such a soothing balm for my soul and really recharges me and helps me feel really at my best. So I hope that for all of you, you are getting time to yourself. I think it's very important. And also, you're having interactions with people that are very also strengthening and recharging and helpful to you. I've been very lucky that lots of people have been coming and helping me with my bird feeders as we go into a busier time. People buying them for, for Christmas presents, getting in early and of course this kindness means so much to me having this practical help. So I really hope that's there for you too. And as a species of course we're so inclined towards the practical, towards doing things, seeing physical change in the external world. And for many of us in this time when we've had to let go of our belief that we can control everything, <coughs> excuse me, and accept the fact that things are changing around us beyond our control, having tasks to do that are practical where we can see change taking place that we are making can be very comforting as well. So I really hope for you today you can find more ways, new ways to make things easier and more straightforward for yourself and for those you love around you that you can look back at all of the wonderful, wonderful gifts you have given, the help you have given, the support you have given over this time and indeed over your lifetime and see how valuable and kind oh, and nurturing and what a change that makes. 
and thank you and thank you to the whole Blowing Bubbles team for having me. I'm so grateful to be part of this brilliant show and I look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks so much. Kakiti. You are listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with Emma Burns. Emma, um, there, there are so many challenges in the, in the world at the moment and, and so much that's um, kind of the unknown but you guys, you guys create a space of known things, and it's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's it's a place where you can go to learn about things that people know about, and it, it gives a sense of, I don't know, it gives a sense of a bit of stability, I guess. Do you think that we're getting enough engagement from kids in visiting the museum, or is is it working? Um, I think that's a good question. Uh, I definitely know that the, the the kids that visit the museum, um, we've done we do all sorts of different pro- programs here at the museum. We do the sleepovers, we do the um, the science centre, and then we also do the formal education programs that are matched to curriculums and things like that as well. And then a whole bunch of informal stuff on the weekend that parents and grandparents can bring their their kids to. And I think families and kids seem to be one of the the major audiences and um they they do seem to get a lot out of it like i think it's just the um the the one the wonder and the and the objects that they see which i think is um is pretty amazing but i don't know what i'm interested in as we go as we sort of work through with COVID and things is that um you know since the 1990s we've been kind of pushing for this interactive space and museums and um that's been to try you know in a way i guess try and stay cool with the kids and then as interactivity um in a museum kind of has changed because they were shared interactives um how that will change into in terms of how we um we do interactivity with um personal devices now as well and we're already starting to kind of explore those types of um those types of capabilities within the museums with our exhibitions and things that are coming up so um, I think it's a continually moving feast with with keeping the newer generations engaged as we as we come through. Um, I think also exploring how they want to be reflected in the in the stories as well is something that we're looking into too. It's like um, what stories are important to them and how that how do we kind of create a space because you know essentially a museum is a reflection of um, of community as well. So how do we we take their ideas and create something that um, that is, is more engaging um, with our communities as well. During these last school holidays, um, we, we had a, one of your colleagues uh, was one of our uh, guests before the holidays, and she shared with us um, this amazing resource that you guys had created uh, with all these amazing activities that kids could do at home. That was so cool. That got shared very widely in Fakatani on all the community pages. Oh, I posted awesome. it once and it just went mad. So yeah. is, is that the future, do you think, that kind of thing, that kind of engagement? Yeah, I think definitely. And I, we've got a really strong um, and wonderful science engagement team down here at, the, at Otago as well. Like, um, It's been something that's been building for um, a number of years now where we, we also get out into those communities. So those same interact. Um, interactive sort of lessons and things that they're putting on um, putting on online were also, are also ones that we're actually traveling you know around different regions of Otago of Southland of the whole South Island they've even been up to the Chathams and other parts of New Zealand and even to the um, even into the Pacific as well so I mean our science engagement team are an absolute wonder and a, a fabulous resource so yeah the more we can get those um, those things that they're developing which are so um, you know kind of tap into that creativity and science intersection um, is, is really important. Yeah. One of the things I've observed um, through this, uh, it's especially this kind of, this lockdown um, on social media is uh, so much misinformation being spread about viruses and, 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 and vaccines and all the rest of it. And I worry that um, that, and it seems to be this sort of, generation of adults that seem really disconnected from real science knowledge do you think we can fix that with the kids give them you know find ways to to enable them with real knowledge so that they Mm -hmm. don't sort of fall down those into that um into that misinformation space yeah i think 
it's yeah it comes i think from yeah good teaching and good um good work around what's happening in the social media space as well i think because that at the end of the day if you end up there's basically the way the algorithms work isn't it they kind of pull you down certain rabbit holes so you want kids to stay curious but you also want them to be able to be curious in a safe place where that information is very clear that that's that's good information it's not um not bogus you know? yeah And how do we how do you reckon we how do you reckon we get that message is, is there something that can be the way that you guys are delivering um delivering science and delivering knowledge can that be embedded into that as well yeah i think we could probably work on that a bit a bit more like a, a what makes good science and i know that a lot of the science communicators at the beginning of a lot of their shows they do present you know what is science to start with because a lot of kids um might not be aware um, of of how that how the whole system sort of works, and that it's basically just you know asking questions and running an experiment, and emotions and, and things like that shouldn't really be coming into it. It's just you do something, this happens, and that's the result. And um, yeah, that's the that's the crux of it, really. Moira said it was about the, the science is the, the space of the known, but it's also the space of the unknown. I think one of the, my favourite approaches in a museum that I've seen is in a museum in a place in Utah, and its name is escaping me, Verna, which is beside the town called Dinosaur, which we went to because it's the town called Dinosaur. Um, and it's beside the di one of the dinosaur um, parks, the natural history, the, the fossil areas. Um, and they've done a really nice thing of that their exhibition is evolving and it's been evolving yeah. over the and it's sort of like well this is what we did think and now it's like this and now it's like this and they're adding to it as yeah. the as it goes on and not sort of like just changing it it's actually telling that yeah. that that story yeah. i really love explaining how they know as well that's the the kind of the, the key thing because like basically science is always um you know it, disputes itself from time to time which is I think what people get kind of worried about but at the same time it's looking at evidence in a new way with new tools often so it's explaining those those things to people as well which I think is very key and it might be that you've only got a jawbone and a hip bone and, a, and a something else but you're presenting a whole animal I really like it when it shows this is the bit we know and it yep. could be like this this we've we've worked we've extrapolated from that to say well it's 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 got this attached to it so it must be like that and if it's like that then it's like this but it gets pretty iffy as we get further and further away from that bone we started yeah until you find more bones you know that's the kind of <laughs> the, once you've got more data you can apply it back into the same experiment and go oh actually we've now know more or actually we're a little bit wrong in this area so you know that's that's the it's all about evidence let's take the second of your music choices let's have aradna wake up why this one um i just love listening to the song in the morning as a um as a get up get going um positive um yeah jump about yeah <laughs> getting up and getting going and getting out the door
Emma, we've seen lots of changes in society over the last, I was going to say year and a half, but it's getting on for two years. The last two years, what do you think is going to stick? And perhaps more importantly, what do you hope will stick? Um, I quite enjoy the um, the networking that's come from the the lockdown, like the, the switch to video calls and things like that. Although they could be quite, you know, if you've got a number of them back to back over um, over a whole day, it can be quite exhausting. It's just it's meant that we've sort of come to come together a bit closer as a community as well. Like everybody's just sort of at each other's, um, you know, just down the line. And um, yeah, it's for us in natural history as well. Like we've um, we've managed to basically create a network within our industry um, to try and help us with some of the the issues that we face. Um, just looking after collections, like you have quite specific items with specific needs and things like that. So. Um, being able to jump online and chat to somebody else who's, who's basically put a call out and go, hey, anybody else having issues, you know, buying a specific size jar from um, somewhere in the world to fit a specific type of animal in there. Um, yeah, those types of things have been really helpful and, and useful. Yeah. Is there a natural history or natural science of the of COVID, not perhaps the virus themselves? I don't know if you want a jar or virus, but... Is, is there is there something that's that you're thinking that would go into the collection to to represent this time? Um, I mean, our our team and uh, our colleagues in humanities are already thinking about those types of things in terms of um, what items to add to the sort of social history aspect of the um, of the collection. Um, one of the things that we have already um, added was that just before Christmas in 2019, a um, a young family got in touch about uh, some fishing that they were doing uh, of giant goldfish in the Albert Town Lagoon in Wanaka. And uh, so I gave them some instructions about how to properly collect data around um, fish that they were catching. And so during the school holidays in April uh, 2020, they went fishing in the Albert Town Lagoon. So these giant goldfish came to us, which were caught during lockdown, which um, yeah, I've just been added into the collection and taxidermied, and one of them is a uh, a spear fishing record for, uh, for for introduced goldfish. So, bloody big! It's like two point um, two point seven kgs. It's enormous. <laughs> but it, it's useful for us, as I was saying, when we're working on things like uh, upcoming exhibitions around fish and things to yeah to have examples of these things that aren't you know from the nineteen sixties. It's that ongoing addition to the collection. Does that citizen science information make it into the into the collection proper? Do do you tag it as as how it was collected, and so people know to look yes, at it yeah. with some scepticism, perhaps in the future? Yeah, yeah, no, we we do, and um, and it's certainly good when people get in touch with us beforehand because we can, like I said, um, make that that data more um, robust by telling them exactly what we need to to record. Um, but yeah, we do we do take that type of stuff, and we are working towards um, a lot of the work that we've been doing over this past lockdown um, is cleaning the data of the collection so that eventually it will be available um, on global aggreg aggregators like GBIF, so that um, it's accessible by science. And that comes with all sorts of standardised tags around, you know, whether it was caught by a researcher or a um, or a citizen scientist as well, so that they can um, add that into their their factors affecting the research that they're doing. Emma, do you think there's any lessons that we can take from the pandemic and the pandemic response for the bigger sorts of things that the museum is um, trying to to help people with, things like climate change, biodiversity collapse? Are there some lessons in there of, of things that we can do? Um, I feel like it's, it's kind of saying to the entire world we need to move a bit faster on these things. Um, and... Yeah, I feel like COVID's been a bit of a, it's like a heart attack kind of, and that you recover from, but it's how do you adjust your lifestyle um, going forward and what things that you should be um, should be focusing on. And certainly, yeah, like it's a bit of a, um, a shot in the arm for us in terms of focusing some, on some of the collection data stuff so that we can make that information available uh, so it can be used and more accessible to research as well. So accessibility is certainly something that we've been working on in the museum, in our museum at least, 
to if we can't have international visitors or even local visitors accessing the collection physically how do we make that more accessible online and that's going to be through um, you know data a lot of the time you said recover from do you think we're looking for is it is it a are we recovering are we resetting are we regenerating what are you thinking we're, think, we're doing <laughs> i think we're readjusting um and I would, you know, it would be nice to have like a, a, a bit of a reset, but I think, I think aspects of, of how we've operated in the past will carry through like any major change. Um, certain things get left behind and certain things keep going and other things fade over time as you've realised that they're actually not that important anymore as well. So we're kind of going through a series of, of that, of like, you know, some things that we really can't let go of as a society will probably like, you know, hop along for a bit and then we'll be like, actually, you know, why are we continuing to do this? So, um, yeah, change is hard, I guess, for everybody. So, um, yeah, we're going through it at the moment. Is there anything at the museum where you've done something forever and this this has made you think, actually, why are we doing that? Uh, we're having, we're definitely having conversations around that, around, yeah, the accessibility and the amount of paperwork that we do. Um, like if, we, if we're trying to get time to get research and messages out there getting tied up in some of the um the, the paperwork is is just it's a waste of time and resources so yeah trying to to what's the what's the the most um useful work we can be doing in order to um yeah to to make things happen uh, at pace and um yeah and still stay robust in all the things that we need to do legislatively as well I have some questions to end the show with and not very much time, so we shall have to be quick. What is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Uh, good question. Um, I think... Um, <laughs> uh, good question. Um, probably... Um, I mean, I've just really enjoyed helping people... Um, through this period. Um, like we've had a lot of researchers and things come in who have been sort of stranded in New Zealand um, and their, you know, their global research has kind of been put on hold with um, with COVID and stuff. So had people like Ian Towley who'd got a, um, a, a research um, fellowship at the dental school at the university and couldn't continue to do his global research on primates so that he could understand human evolution of um, enamel and, and, and different, different teeth and things. So he was planning to look at monkeys from all over the world, but luckily here in Otago, we've got a, quite a good collection of, um, of primates from all over the world. So he could do global research from right here in Otago. So that was that was quite nice. Um, and I think just, yeah, just checking in with people, um, giving people something entertaining to do has been a real, um, yeah, exciting part of the last year. Some researchers might be pretending that they can't do their field trip to the museum. And they do have to go yeah. to the Amazon or something. Yeah, yeah, probably, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, it shows the value of natural history collections when you've got global um, collections, uh, yeah, locally. It's, it's great. So we're yeah. writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. It's our team of people doing good work. So you are in that team, Emma. What's your superpower? What's got you into the mansion? Uh, I think... Keeping me in the mansion or getting me into the mansion would be uh, I think maybe just adaptability and um, yeah and and trying to find balance and sharing that balance with people as well so not yeah do you consider yourself to be an activist at times <laughs> So what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? We had a song um, about not wasting time well, before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm always, uh, people motivate me, I think. Um, I, despite working with a lot of dead, dead things, I really enjoy the people side of my work. So it's, you know, talking to donors, talking to researchers, talking to different community groups about the, the stories that we're trying to share and, um, and seeing people's ideas through to completion is uh, yeah it's kind of kind of cool uh, probably a bit of a, a problem for me sometimes as well because I always get quite excited by um, people's enthusiasm for things but um, yeah no it's it's also 
an important part of you know enjoying your time on this planet, eh? So what challenge or opportunity are you looking forward to in the next year or so? Um, I think the next opportunity will be, um, yeah, trying to get some some of the projects that have been put on hold thanks to COVID um, out of the way. We've got um, we've got a, quite a, a lot of specimens to, to sort out and get prepared. Um, we've also got uh, quite a few displays and things that we're looking to update as well, just with... Um, with the way that museums are sort of changing in terms of the the stories that we're telling, it's something that we can't really sit on our laurels about. So um, we're going to be doing a lot of work around our extinct bird displays, um, introducing more um, like Mataranga Māori into our nature nature galleries and things like that as well. So yeah, we've kind of got a busy um, busy period coming up, and um, on top of that, we've got special exhibitions to develop as well. So yeah, always always busy. <laughs> And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Um, I mean, enjoy enjoy the joys in each day, really. Um, you yeah, can be found in all sorts of different places. Um, yeah. Thank you for that. Mawira. Um, Emma, um, you were talking before about citizen science, and, um, and it's been mentioned a few times, but just really uh, struck a chord today, especially with um, some of the other things that you said. And I just really wanted to say how much I appreciate the way you value and empower uh, people to learn and grow and um, and that you celebrate people going out and being scientists. And it's a wonderful thing that you do. Thank you very much for the contribution you make to our world. Kia ora. Kia ora. Thank you. Thank you. Sweet wine for breakfast. I slept but an hour or so. I smiled a little in the silence, deciding on where to go. Meet me under the wheel in the Natural History Museum. I think that's what she said. A little sad having to go there. Listening to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We're broadcast on Otago Access Radio every weekday afternoon at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We had a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie. This is Donovan Museum. I'm Sammy Manasoy's Babe in Eden with Mawira Karatai in Fakatani, and we've been joined from Otago Museum by Emma Burns. That was Blowing Bubbles. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.